All opinions expressed in this podcast by participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinion of BioVerge, Inc. or its affiliates. The participants' opinions are based upon information they consider reliable, but neither BioVerge or its affiliates warrants its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied on as such. Nothing contained in and accompanying this podcast shall be construed as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation to purchase any security by BioVerge, its portfolio companies, or any third party. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to the BioVerge Podcast with Neil Litton. Neil, we've got Tony DePasqua, who's CEO of Enclear Therapies, on the show today. What is Enclear Therapies? Yeah, uh, Enclear is actually a portfolio company of, of BioVerge. They are developing a device that is able to filter the cerebral spinal fluid from patients suffering from uh, their lead indication is ALS. Uh, but it's really a platform technology that could be potentially broadly applied to a variety of different neurodegenerative diseases. So, so they're, they, they are um, working under the clearance hypothesis um, to filter out what are believed to be the toxic proteins that cause the underlying condition for ALS. It seems this is a bit analogous to what's been done with blood. Is it known yet that there's a therapeutic benefit for this approach? Well, early evidence is is pointing in that direction. So this is still a, a relatively novel approach. Uh, to my knowledge, there are no approved therapies that have uh, implemented this sort of clearance hypothesis. Uh, however, there you know the the technology has been around for for decades now, largely in the academic setting. There are a number of commercial players that are pursuing this approach, and I, I think there's a lot of evidence pointing to. If we can remove the toxic proteins that are thought to cause uh, the disease, in this case, ALS, but same holds true for Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, uh, that patients would would significantly benefit, uh, that the disease could, in some cases, be halted from progressing, um, could potentially be reversed uh, in, in some cases. We don't know how far. Uh, I, I'm not sure there's a lot of evidence around that. But I think they're, they're, the scientific hypothesis, I think, is, is pretty strong and has been supported from early, you know, certainly lab data in cells, but also, you know, preclinical animal model data as well. And, and if the technology does work, is there an expectation how broadly applicable it might be? Well, you know, I think that's one of the things that that we really like at BioVerge about what uh, Enclair is doing is that in ALS in particular, you know, there are no real, um, uh, no, no, no great treatment options that exist today. So it is a true unmet medical need. And so what uh, Enclair is pursuing, right, if it works, is, is a total paradigm shift and game changer for patients with ALS. Um, and in many ways, the, the, the technology that they're developing could be applied to other diseases as well, such as Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or other neurodegenerative diseases. So if the thesis holds true and the, and the technology works as, as we all hope it will, then, yeah, I mean, there, there are huge benefits that can be 
uh, seen from 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 patients suffering from these these devastating diseases. If you're all set, I'm all set. Let's do it. Tony, thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited to have you on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So today we're going to talk to uh, talk about unclear therapies, the neurodegenerative condition ALS. We're going to talk a little bit about your technology for removing toxic proteins from the CSF. Uh, but I'd love to start with ALS. Uh, Tony, for listeners not familiar with the condition, what is ALS? Uh, ALS is uh, uh, a pretty pretty devastating disease that uh, uh, folks have been looking at for, for over 100 years. Uh, a, a lot of folks know it uh, 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 from the ice bucket challenge. And even before that is Lou Gehrig's disease, the famous baseball player who had it many, many years ago. Um, and it, it, it strikes people uh, pretty much in their prime and, you know, in the middle of their lives. Uh, it starts uh, with someone having difficulty walking, eating and speech disruption, uh, weakness in your legs. And then, uh, unfortunately, uh, it takes about a year to get diagnosed. You move from your primary care to a neurologist to a specialist. Um, and then you receive this uh, ALS diagnosis and, and you're told, uh, unfortunately, uh, your life expectancy is, is now two to five years. Um, you're going to be in a wheelchair in, about, in less than a year. Uh, and, and unfortunately, there's no real therapeutic options for you. And so, uh, it's really about management of your life uh, for these final years as as your body, your 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 neurological system sort of uh, um, it degrades very rapidly around you. And, and, so a, and, and Tony, is, is this a is this a genetic disease or, or does this manifest? It sounds like it manifests later in life or do we know the underlying cause of of the disease? Uh, well, so uh, as. Um, the underlying biology becomes uh, more understood and genetic mutations become uh, more evident and understood. It, it just becomes, uh, ALS is a much more complicated disease than originally thought as many of these neurodegenerative diseases are. And so there are most certainly uh, genetic components to this disease. Uh, uh, C9ORF72 is the largest genetic mutation uh, uh, for ALS patients. But there's also a, a large sporadic group where uh, there is uh, less genetic component there. Uh, and uh, uh, folks are just now starting to understand the biologic underpinnings of that of that portion of the disease. And so I, I think that's a good segue into into what you're developing at Unclear. And th that's really uh, a technology to remove what are thought to be the toxic proteins from the cerebral spinal fluid. Could you, could you talk a little bit about, at a high level, the, the, the clearance hypothesis, sort of in general, its, its origins? If I'm not mistaken, I think the clearance hypothesis and this concept of removing toxic proteins from the CSF was started actually in, in, with Alzheimer's. Um, so could you talk just a little bit about the hypothesis in general, and then we can dive into what's unique about Unclear's approach? Sure, sure. And, and uh, it's worth noting that uh, folks have actually been looking at uh, your cerebral spinal fluid, uh, uh, CSF, as uh, a toxic component of neurological disease for 40 plus years now. And there's been good evidence along the way uh, uh, to support that there is uh, components here that are, that are toxic by nature. Um, and so the company itself started uh, by looking at an, an actual genetic mutation, the C9ORF72 genetic mutation, which 
uh, we found uh, there are proteins uh, developed as part of that mutation that don't exist in the human uh, normal human population. And so uh, you know, we tested those on, uh, on human cells and, and saw that those were very toxic. Uh, in the academic world has found that they're very toxic. And so uh, that sort of started us down this path. Uh, we've since then moved into the sporadic population as well and uh, found other toxic proteins that are, that are um, uh, present in your CSF and cause uh, human neuronal uh, death. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's been an ongoing uh, sort of academic affair, but also more recently uh, at Enclair Therapies, we, we have started to look at these components of CSF, uh, finding that they are in fact toxic and, uh, and, and starting to use our system to remove those, uh, that toxicity. Um, and, the, uh, and this has been looked at actually, not just in ALS, as you said, uh, uh, in Alzheimer's, in Parkinson's disease, uh, uh, frontal temporal dementia, uh, and PSP as well. So, so many neurological diseases are now, are now looking at the CSF as uh, a possible gateway for um, uh, A, toxicity associated with the disease and B, ways of therapeutically approaching uh, uh, treating patients with diseases. And Tony, I want to dive into something you, you mentioned. I mean, this has been pursued largely in the, the, the world of academia for, as you mentioned, 40 plus years. You know, some of this technology obviously is now in the commercial sector uh, looking to be developed. Um, I, I think the, the, the story of how uh, Enclair's technology in particular sort of came about is, is really interesting. Can, could you describe a little bit uh, about sort of the origin of the, the initial technology, how and, and where it was developed? Um, and, and then we can talk about sort of the, the, the path forward from, from here. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and it is kind of a, uh, an interesting intersection of medical device and biotech. Um, uh, one of the founders of a ALS, another ALS, um, uh, uh, biotech company, Curalis, uh, and uh, some of their scientific group were looking at new and novel ways of getting a therapeutic drug, a, a molecule, past the blood-brain barrier, uh, uh, which is a very difficult thing for uh, many therapeutics to get past this uh, gateway to the brain, basically. And so they came up with this idea of recirculating CSF mechanically to, to move the molecule around as they needed. Um, but in doing so, they also noted, well, we know about these, these other proteins that uh, have been shown to be toxic. If we're recirculating CSF to deliver something, can we recirculate CSF to remove something? And that's sort of the idea of NCLEAR therapies happened right there. Um, and at that point, actually, that's where I get involved um, because uh, that was a very biotech-centric uh, company. And they said, well, this is a very medical device oriented therapeutic. And um, I had a relationship with a number of the uh, founders there and, and scientific group there. And, and they, they called me in, who, who has a med tech background, um, uh, to see if this was something we could spin off and, uh, and build as a, as a system, which we have since done. And so as you think about the, developing the, uh, the technology from a regulatory perspective, how is this going to be regulated? Is this going to be regulated as a medical device? Is it a drug device combination? Mm -hmm. So uh, it really becomes uh, dependent on uh, what we're using the system for. Uh, from a therapeutic standpoint of removing these toxic proteins, 
uh, we've been in conversations with the FDA and uh, we're, we're currently with their device uh, group there and going through the device uh, pathway. And so that, that seems uh, it's going to, it's a PMA pathway there. Um, but that, that seems pretty uh, solid and clear. Now, if we use this system for uh, clinical diagnostic of gaining access to, uh, you know, looking at uh, other components of CSF or by uh, delivering a therapeutic uh, of other nature, then, then, it, then it becomes uh, a, a drug device combo and, and moves into uh, another area of the FDA. Interesting. And then as you think about developing this um, as, a, as a drug device combo um, and, and using this sort of, I guess what I would say is a, a platform technology, where, like, where are you furthest along? When do you mm-hmm. actually anticipate being in, in the clinic with, uh, with, with the technology, with the device? Yeah. We're, so uh, for our uh, uh, ALS uh, uh, CSF toxicity therapeutic, uh, we are uh, uh, less than a year from from the from our first clinical trials, uh, and uh, we are taking a pathway. It's called an early feasibility study. Uh, it's on the device side, uh, and uh, basically it allows us to go uh, to a very small patient population uh, and uh, and test out the device. Um, uh, most certainly, we've already gone through. We'll have already finished up our our safety. Uh, 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 testing and making sure that this is not going to harm anybody, but really it's uh, an early uh, an early safety human test uh, to show that a the, that we can recirculate CSF safely in humans, but also b that we can target and remove uh, the proteins that we that we that we want to. Um, and so we're about a year away from that one. That one's the furthest along. And, that, and, that, and that's very exciting. And you know, assuming obviously there, there's a lot of risk that go along with clinical trials, but assuming the device. Uh, you know, does what what you think it does, and, and what early evidence has shown that it can do. What, what what does this mean for for patients suffering from ALS? How does this change yes. the, the treatment paradigm? Uh, uh, well, so we look at this as a huge uh, paradigm shift for for this patient population. If we uh, move forward, uh, there's still uh, you know uh, an efficacy trial that will will go into motion uh, for the commercial release of the of the product. But once that happens, uh, this this is an opportunity to halt the progression of ALS in a patient population that, you know, uh, saving them three months is a, a huge thing. But we, we think we can do much, much better than that. And uh, and we can do it in a way that's relatively low invasive for them, uh, where they're uh, not unlike a kidney dialysis type methodology, they're coming into a, uh, a service center that's local to them, so they don't have to travel. Uh, they're having their, their CSF you know, cleansed uh, for all intents and purposes, and then they, and then they get to go home and, and continue with their, with their lives. So uh, we, we think we can impact this patient population uh, by A, extending their lives uh, in a real meaningful way, but, but B, doing it in a non-invasive way where they can stay close to home, uh, live their lives, their quality of lives as, as long as possible. And and how would this actually be delivered at the, at the patient bedside? Would you need to have um, you, you know surgeons to deliver this type of treatment, or could could uh, you know nurse practitioners, for example, deliver this? Or uh, could you talk a little bit about some of the, the the training that would need to take place to deliver this type of, of therapy, sort of you know ac- across you know ac- across the nation and, and really at, at some point across the world? 
Yeah, so the the way the system works is that the patient is implanted with a, a couple of catheters uh, and subcutaneous ports. So the, the catheters are uh, pretty standard catheters that are, are implanted in other patient populations from everything from hydrocephalus, uh, which is uh, having a pressure in your brain, to uh, uh, deep brain stimulators, to uh, uh, delivering drugs in your in your uh, in your back for pain relief. Um, and then the subcutaneous ports are, are just like uh, chemo ports that are that are placed for patients receiving chemotherapy. So they're underneath the skin. Uh, at that point, that, so a neurosurgeon would do that in an outpatient setting. Uh, so uh, uh, a pretty standardized procedure that's low invasive, minimally invasive, and, and uh, the patient can go home the same day. And then after that, uh, the recirculation and cleaning of the CSF can happen uh, in what we hope uh, uh, um, uh, infusion centers, which are locally based, uh, usually there's a, a tech that that could run this that portion of it for the patient, uh, an RN most certainly, but a, a tech could certainly handle the recirculation portion. Great. And and have you? Is it too early? Have you had any discussions with with payers? Have you thought about how this type of product would be uh, reimbursed? Yeah, so we have had some early discussions with payers. We're really uh, uh, very, very early in the process, but we know that that takes a long time. And uh, at the end of the day, there's good um, reimbursement uh, protocols for uh, patient populations such as this that are desperate, uh, desperately in need of, of therapeutics. And so there's a, a relatively clear but long pathway uh, for for uh, uh, fair and uh, and reasonable reimbursement for for what we're pro we're providing, mm -hmm. and and then as as we think about the the the, the platform technology, so it sounds like you know ALS excuse me is is sort of the the beachhead if you will for the the platform. Um, you know, there's certainly a dire need from the patient perspective of no real available treatment options today. As you think about the platform technology, it sounds like this could potentially be used for, for other neurological conditions as well. Could you, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, uh, we sort of actually look at this from a, a platform technology that has three uh, verticals coming off of it. One is this uh, uh, therapeutic uh, CSF toxicity uh, uh, vertical in which uh, we think we can treat um, uh, any number of neurological diseases where there are uh, toxic proteins present in CSF that are known to cause the neuro, uh, the neural uh, neuronal deficits, um, uh, such as uh, Parkinson's or or even Alzheimer's are in that category, um, and and so we'll we'll continue to move those programs forward. But we also believe that there are two other verticals, one of which is this delivery mechanism where we're able to deliver other therapeutics past the blood-brain barrier into the deep brain tissue and spine tissue that, that they need to go and are, quite frankly, unable to go uh, with the current uh, technology. And so that goes uh, across many different disease states, not just uh, um, uh, neurodegenerative, but uh, all the way to oncology um, and a number of others. So. Uh, we continue to work with partners to to advance that technology forward. Then on top of that, there's never really been uh, a good access uh, uh, for CSF for clinical biomarkers, for um, uh, taking regular samples, uh, for getting good uh, res uh, testing results for uh, the biology within the CSF 
on an ongoing basis. And so we, we provide a platform that you can get live data um, uh, uh, on a regular basis. And so, Tony, I mean, th those are all, I think, really fascinating areas to pursue. I, as you think about prioritizing, are, is there one of those three pillars that you're prioritizing, sort of driving hard at, or are you pursuing all of those in, in parallel? Uh, so we are most certainly uh, uh, focused almost 100% on the a ALS therapeutic uh, uh, pillar and uh, as our as our AR lead program, but uh, but also our uh, sort of it it drives the platform forward in the in the most meaningful way. Um, but that being said, we have some ongoing uh, partnerships in the delivery side uh, that uh, that uh, we'll continue to to manage as as we go. And Antonio, on the on the ALS uh, therapeutic side, could could you talk a little bit about some of the preclinical data that you've seen that that you're excited about? I, I believe you've you've completed some some large animal models. Could you talk a little bit about what you've seen uh, coming out of those studies? Yes, absolutely. And so the way uh, we we take our uh, our science very uh, our preclinical work very seriously, and and so we've sort of walked up uh, uh, from the bench. Uh, with cell models to small animals to large animals. Um, and admittingly, there's no good large animal uh, model for ALS. And so we've, we've, we've had to get creative with cell models as well as small animal models. Uh, but we've, we've seen uh, on the bench uh, uh, the toxicity of uh, these proteins we are targeting, uh, toxicity of ALS CSF, um, so uh, it, we're sort of proving out that yes, this the, the things we want to clean are are toxic, and yes, we can clean them. Uh, and then uh, on the small animal, we wanted to make sure that we weren't adding any toxicity uh, by doing what we're the mechanisms that we're using and doing what we're doing. So so we've we've had uh, a good success in our in our small animal studies. And then in the large animals, uh, we, most recently. Uh, we've shown that we can recirculate CSF on long on a long-term basis extremely safely, um, and uh, and in doing so, we've actually also uh, recently shown that uh, uh, we can uh, take down endogenous levels of TDP43 and actually tau as well, several isoforms of tau. So we're we're really pleased with all of these studies, sort of leading up uh, to our human uh, uh, studies that. Uh, we've shown that uh, uh, that we're onto something from a toxicity standpoint, uh, that we're we're not creating any toxicity by doing what we're doing, and that we're that we've got a safe mechanism that's that's pretty efficient at at reducing uh, uh, these these proteins from from uh, from an animal model. And as you think about moving forward with development, what what do you see as the key risks in in developing the technology as you move through, you know, finalizing IND enabling studies or, or preclinical studies, I should say, uh, and and moving into you know first in human clinical studies. Yep. Yeah. Just to just to be clear, we're on the ALS therapy. Where uh, it'll be an IDE submission on the device side. Um, uh, so uh, we sort of see this in, in three, the risks in three buckets. We still have uh, our uh, cell and biology work to, to complete, uh, although we have good initial data, we're, we're, we continue to generate data for that IDE submission. Uh, we have uh, uh, more large animal work to do as well. Uh, and uh, although everything is positive, uh, whenever you're doing those studies, uh, uh, there's, there's a small risk. Uh, and then there's some uh, uh, product development uh, validation and verification going on uh, uh, as we as we speak. And uh, although it's going very well, uh, 
there's always a risk that uh, uh, something comes up in, in those tests as well. Um, along with that, uh, although we've brought the FDA along from the very beginning, there's always a risk that they, they come back and ask us for something that, that, that they hadn't asked for in the past or that we hadn't seen. So uh, I, I see it as, uh, you know, um, uh, mostly tactical risks, but uh, certainly there's, there's a lot going on at once and um, there, there's still, still a bunch for us to do. Sure. And then as you think about moving in, into the clinic, um, you know, you talked a little bit about this, but could you explain a little more about what types of studies that you will need to complete in order to garner uh, FDA approval for, for this device? Will, will there be further studies beyond the, sort of the, the, the first in human trial that you had mentioned? Uh, ab absolutely. And so this, as I said, this first uh, uh, early feasibility study is like a phase one uh, safety study for a farm pharmacological uh, uh, therapy, uh, and it, it will study uh, the safety of the mechanism, the device, and then that we are reducing the, the protein load that, that we say we're going to reduce. Uh, once we get through that, uh, we have some more, uh, actually, we go back to a, a, a preclinical work uh, for a little bit to uh, update anything that we've learned from that EFS study, which uh, um, uh, it will be a, a 10 or less patients um, and really is there to educate us all, not just on the, um, the safety of the system, but also the mechanics of the biology and uh, some of the questions we have on, you know, regeneration of the proteins, uh, how uh, the proteins uh, may come out of the tissue, may not, uh, how often we may need to treat patients. Some of those questions will start to be answered and, and inform us as to future product design. So we'll do a little more of the product design in the middle, and then we have to go back for a, a pivotal trial, an efficacy trial for uh, for FDA uh, approval. And any idea how many patients that efficacy trial would require? Well, well, we're still in early development of that since we haven't gotten through our, our early feasibility study, uh, but that could be uh, anywhere from 40 to 80 patients. Um, uh, this is a sort of a fast moving, uh, progressing disease uh, in um, uh, small, small patient populations. So uh, it won't be thousands of patients, but uh, it'll certainly be um, uh, around 100 or less. So, so Tony, I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but in an ideal world, assuming that things go you know, relatively according to plan, which, which they never do in, in the world of science and, and biology and, and you know, clinical development, but w w when would you anticipate would be the earliest that, that the, 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 the uh, product could actually be on the market? If, ever, if everything goes as planned uh, in the next five years, we'll have a product on the market. And as we talked about earlier, I mean, I th that, that's incredibly exciting for uh, patients suffering from this devastating disease. Um, so, Tony, I, I want to thank you for joining us today. If people want to learn more or, or get in, in contact with you, what, what's the best way for, for them to learn more uh, and, and reach you? Yeah, please uh, uh, check us out on the, on the Internet uh, uh, at our website. We have a, a contact page and, and we'll happily uh, respond through there. Excellent. Well, Tony, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, Neil, what did you think? Yeah, I think that was a great conversation with Tony. You know, I, I think we, 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 you know, learned a lot about the, the sort of clearance hypothesis, you know, how their technology is actually able to remove some of the toxic proteins, some of the, you know, specific proteins that they're targeting, 
uh, you know, why this hypothesis makes sense. You know, you heard Tony talk a little bit about how, how this has actually been in development, not their technology specifically, but the thesis has been around for, you know, 40 plus years. So it's, it's not new. I think what is new is that this is now being applied in the commercial sending and that, you know, Enclair is, is really driving this forward to, uh, you know, move into first in human clinical trials in the relatively near future, which I think is really exciting. Uh, especially given that this is a really devastating disease w- with no really viable treatment options today. Neurodegenerative diseases have been fairly intractable to therapeutic approaches. Does that elevate the case for this type of a different approach? I think so. I mean, I think that is one of the things that really attracted us to Unclear to begin with is that we know that pharmacological interventions uh, have a, uh, let's just say, extremely high failure rate when it comes to neurodegenerative diseases. So is there a different approach I think what uh, Enclair is doing is 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 somewhat orthogonal to you know more traditional you know pharmacological approaches, and there is a lot of scientific evidence supporting uh, the rationale for this approach. It's still you know pretty early uh, in the development timelines, right? They're not quite in in clinical trials yet, but. There's enough scientific rationale and evidence to support that this approach makes a lot of sense. And given the high failure rate with, you know, on the drug side of the equation, yeah, you know, this is definitely a shot on goal that is that is worth taking. Um, and particularly if you think about it from from the patient perspective, like we've got to be pursuing all avenues to, to try to get new new therapies in, in the hands of patients and in the hands of clinicians uh, for, for these types of devastating diseases that are that are really, you know, unmet medical needs at this point. The drug failures in this area would suggest that drug developers may not be pursuing the right targets for these diseases. How well is the case that removing these toxic proteins would provide benefit? Well, again, I think early evidence shows that they that this approach can provide evidence. Um, and, and again, it's, it's in... Uh, a variety of different disease settings, right? It's ALS. I think there's some early evidence in Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's as well. So I think the the scientific rationale is there. The early scientific evidence is is supportive of the rationale. But again, it is still early days. You know, all the technology needs to be borne out in in clinical trials. But I, I think the rationale is sound. And again, given the high failure rate we've seen with with drugs, you know, that th- these approaches are certainly worth pursuing. This, if successful, will be uh, a real novel approach to treating these conditions. How much of an obstacle is it to get doctors to adopt this type of new technology? Well, that that's a really interesting question, Danny. I, I don't think it would be that big of an obstacle given there are no alternative options out there. So this isn't like it would be a Me Too you know, type therapy or, or device, right? This would be a a game changing, you know, paradigm shifting uh, type of technology for patients that have no other options. So, you know, our sense and, and my and my sense is that this would be readily adopted as soon as it's proven to be safe and effective. Well, Neil, until next time. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for listening. The BioVerge podcast is a product of BioVerge Inc investment platform that funds visionary entrepreneurs with the aim of transforming healthcare. BioVerge provides access and enables everyone to invest in highly vetted healthcare startups on the cutting edge of innovation. From family offices and registered investment advisors to accredited and non-accredited individuals. To learn more, 
go to BioVerge.com. This podcast is produced for BioVerge by the Levine Media Group. Music for this podcast is provided courtesy of the Jonah Levine Collective.